I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello everybody, hope you're having a fantastic week. It's Gavin Casey with you here for the 42 Rugby Weekly. Back to the routine, Murray Kinsella, or at least the regular season routine. How are you? How's your week been going? Yeah, good. Great week. We had a big um, kind of media sports night on Wednesday to, to help raise some funds for, for Crumlin Children's Hospital. I, I'm sure people have seen Rory O'Connor doing amazing work in that regard. And um, Rugby Riders Ireland and Taneo, one of the the sports sponsorship uh, firms kind of got together and organised a, a big evening. So it was great to see all the sports media heads and surprise, surprise, Birch turned his back on us and went with the RTE team who came in third place. We were what? Were we respectable mid-table in the end? I think we were ninth. Uh, and for a three-person team where everybody else had five yeah. players. or Yeah, I was pretty happy with our evening's work. Obviously, Birch's all-stars pulling away from us there towards the end was... <laughs> Like this really disappointing and even if Birch, you know, had nailed his colours to our mast, I think we could have challenged for a Champions League spot. You yeah, know? But they literally were called Birch's All-Stars. I think it was a, a bit of a gag, but it says a lot about him. I, I'm not surprised he didn't pitch up with the lads, but uh, it was a great evening and, like you know, five grand raised for a great cause. So it was great, really massive thanks to everyone kind of the provinces and URC and everyone who rode in and, and gave prizes on the night. So um, yeah, it was a great way to... I suppose, um, have a couple of beers as well after the, the autumn because it was busy. And even though you're with your colleagues and, and people from other publications every day, you don't really get a chance to, to do much socially. So a great evening. Mm. Yeah, it really was. I'm still ropey, to be totally honest <laughs> with you. We're going to plow on here. Uh, we've got loads of questions from the members WhatsApp group, uh, a couple of which concern one Mr. Ronald O'Gara. So uh, here's one from Paddy. Given Raj is on the shortlist for the English job, should the IRFU move heaven and earth to secure his services before we lose him to the RFU? Have you had a chance to give this some thought, Murray, the prospect of Raj coaching England, uh, the prospect of the IRFU potentially intervening to ensure that that doesn't happen and that he winds up, winds up being Ireland coach, possibly succeeding Andy Farrell in a couple of years' time? How do you think that's going to shake out? Yeah, it's not a great prospect, is it? <laughs> it would be so strange to... <laughs> just the, the sight of it would be absolutely bizarre. Him sitting up in the coaching box with his England gear on. But it's become a real possibility because he's made a really good start to his coaching career. He's a Champions Cup winner and, and that's already a massive green tick alongside your name. He's been in New Zealand, he's been in France, he's, he's seen different you know, workings of the game. He's been around a, a superb environment in Crusaders and and earned a really good reputation for his contribution towards that. He wasn't just a, a passenger by any means. So it's it's already no surprise that he's in the mix for this kind of gig, given also what he did in the game as well and the personality that we know he is. He, he's a forceful character. Um, and obviously that's got him on the wrong side of the French authorities. He's banned now for 10 games, his fourth suspension for, you know, issues around his interactions with, with referees and, and that probably isn't a great look I suppose at a time when England are assessing options but um, yeah all that he's done is kind of put, put him in that mix for, for big jobs uh, you know the Times in the UK are reporting that himself Scott Robertson are both in, in the frame potentially for the gig Steve Worthwork has been the kind of longer term favourite but it's really interesting to see their names pop up and I, I think it would be fascinating to see either of those guys do the, the job because they're they're probably kind of left field-ish, if you know what I mean. Yes, their achievements have 
have earned them the the status of be, as being in there. But um, yeah, you wouldn't have seen it longer down the line that they were going to be England coaches potentially. So um, yeah, I, I think in terms of our view, there's like what can they do at the moment? There's no vacancies in the provinces. O'Gara wasn't interested in the Munster opportunity when that was available. He's much happier in La Rochelle. And Andy Farrell's obviously recontracted beyond the, the World Cup, so there's no obvious uh, in there with the with the national team either. So it is a tricky one. I think their hands are tied a little bit, to, to be honest. Uh, potentially Leinster senior coach, but again, Leo Cullen's the main man there. And I think O'Gara now has got to the point where he wants to be that guy. I don't think you know maybe maybe with Robertson who who knows but I think he wants to be the guy making all the the big decisions and having control of selection tactics training everything as well as um contracting etc so it doesn't feel like a natural fit and listen if it's if his next regression is with England I'm sure there'll be people crying into their classic Ireland jerseys watching it but it'll be a lot of fun as well I'm just imagining Raj becoming a cultural force in the UK, like unif- <laughs> unifying a country the way Jack Charlton did in the early 90s. Um, and it, it, it's a curious one as to, I know like the role of a coach in this day and age is not to give like massive motivator, motivating speeches before games, etc. But like, if you're an Irishman coaching England, I just wonder what do you invoke? Like, th- there's no... Say with La Rochelle, it's a very obvious, at least you can spin it in such a way that it's a very obvious underdog story and that it's it's a very local club. Okay, they're well-resourced, but um, a tiny town, like it's an easy sell. Like if you're an England coach, I just, you know, oh, look at this picture of me with my hands in my pockets when I met your queen. <laughs> Nobody respects you, you know. Well, I suppose um, it, like the opposite is Andy Farrell coming in and being a brilliant Ireland head coach, you know. And I remember at the very start, one of his first press conferences, he kind of talked about, I'm paraphrasing here, like the kind of fighting Irish spirit. And it was seen as a bit, I don't know, like glib and a, and a bit stereotypical. But his team does have that quality and he very much does get the right messages, as, as we know, with this team. The players are always, I think, blown away by the quality of his delivery and the messages he 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 makes. So, yeah, he's got a really good understanding now of of what makes the Irish players tick. And I think O'Gara is smart enough that he would be the same if, if he does get that opportunity with, with England. If he doesn't, he's still in a good spot in La Rochelle, as we've discussed before there. You know, a growing club. They've now achieved European uh, success and they really want a top 14 title. So if it doesn't become international coaching at this stage or, or just after the World Cup, I'm sure that he's going to continue to do good work there and, and will again, be in the frame a little bit further line down the line, potentially even when, when the Ireland job does open up. Loads of questions in the members' WhatsApp group about Ireland as well. I feel like we put a bow on this one with Owen Toole and, and Birch on Monday, on Monday's members' pod. It's members.the42.e if you want to subscribe to those uh, and get them on Mondays and Wednesdays. But to answer a couple of the questions that had come in, uh, particularly one around where Ireland might look to improve going into the Six Nations and beyond. We're going to play you a little clip from that show now. So here's that. Just on that, I think I agree with Owen that our first phase launch was was poor, but that was actually, that's that was, that's was been a trend for us. We have the lowest first phase line breaks, uh, lowest first phase tries of the Tier 1 country. So that's an obvious area of improvement because I actually think as we go to a World Cup, we can't rely on 
on our all singing, all dancing attack game because of pressure, because of um, the way cup rugby tends to go, because of refereeing, um, because of the ability to stop the breakdown. But one area we definitely can improve, whether Sexton plays or not, and this isn't a fault of Crowley because these th- those stats were, were there before the, the weekend, is we actually aren't as good, uh, we're way off where we actually should be on first phase because our line out and scrum produce quality ball. So you know, if you're an Irish team and you're doing a, a review of 2022, um, and going into 2023, you'd be saying, "Look at you know, there's so much more we can have um, off our first phase strikes." And when we get like, there's something that you know, they they the defense shouldn't be able to stop you at source all, all the time there, um, and you take a lot more control of it. So I think there's an obvious area of of improve uh, of improvement for us from an attacking point of view, and get on the front foot. Um, from our from our launching better. The the best examples are obviously against 13. Those two chances they had from line out and scrum and, and they blew them both and I know it's only a two minute window but they really should have got a better return on that on the flip side they did get one pretty good first phase of launch which is Caelan Doris absolutely charging through Bernard Foley in the 22 the Wallabies put him back in the defensive line and Ireland probably missed chances earlier in the game you think of Dan Sheehan coming around the, the back of the mall at one stage if he tips onto McCluskey there he gets an unbelievable one-on-one opportunity to go right over him um, and they figured it out in the second half nice little dummy kind of mole shift play out the back and, and van der Fleer hits Doris for that one-on-one and then they get that the power game and, and win penalty advantage and, and, and Aki bashes over so that was a, a more pleasing example of it but absolutely that's a a big area that stands out for them to to improve on I don't know is it anecdotal or, or recency bias someone just thinking of Ireland with a numerical advantage over the last couple of weeks or is it as it seems to be in my head a slightly longer term issue where they aren't great at capitalizing against 13 or 14 men uh, is that a fair uh, thing to say about this team when how do you actually fix that if it is an issue yeah the high profile one was a six nation to italy when they they dropped to was a 13 or they dropped to 12 even at one point given the the same situation around going to uncontested scrums um i think it points back to what birch is saying that probably the key time to expose a numerical advantage off set piece because obviously their their structured defense is compromised initially which gives you momentum to strike through so yeah i i, I think it's whether it's an area of concern only only within camp will they know that but yeah i i think it's always difficult for a captain isn't it to recognize two hookers have gone off the field and and to go to scrum straight away to i guess have that now so you're probably relying on on that message coming from the coach's box. But yeah, obviously clear opportunity missed to, I guess, exploit that the current ruling, isn't it? That if you go to uncontested scrum, you drop to, to 13, which you would have hoped Ireland would have learned the lessons from, from the uh, six nations game against Italy and, and try to exploit Australia uh, better than they did. And from the New Zealand match as well, like where it should have happened and didn't. And it was a talking point after the game and Andy Farrell, mentioned at that time that they hadn't really thought about it so you think it should be pretty fresh in all their minds and it's absurd that it's happened three times now or should have happened in those three games I uh, looking back in the game Josh van der Fleer just after uh, Fanga goes he's vehemently talking to Peter Romani who looks very confused and is staring back at him I, you can't hear on the ref mic but I'm wondering did van der Fleer uh, with his world rugby player of the year uh, smarts maybe spot the opportunity and, and they didn't take it because you could have had 10 minutes then where you could have made hay. But it would have been interesting, Gav, because I, I think even against the, the All Blacks when they had that numerical advantage, there was almost a sense of panic with it. And 
it's a weird challenge when you have those numerical advantages. You even saw Argentina scoring with 13 against Scotland as well. It's a, it's a bit of a trend in the game, but you're right. It is another, another big one for them to go away and study. And that's the brilliant thing about it being test coaches now. They have a couple of months to figure this out, look at other teams, and when the players come back in, have a concise, clear plan for them to get better at it. Bit of a change of gear now, Mer, from the international stuff back to provincial action. Are you looking forward to that, firstly? I really am. Like, because we get so invested into Ireland during these test windows and because there's not the same overlap before as before in terms of some of the URC games tipping away, you almost completely park it in your mind. And then you come to a week like this and you've got Connacht, Munster straight up in an Interpro derby where both sides hugely need the win. They're 12th and 14th in the overall table. And as we, we know, had tough starts to the season, Connacht managed to get a bit of momentum back after the, the trip away to South Africa. But Munster, obviously in a really difficult spot. They've had the, the bounce of that South Africa A game and it was a big bounce, but the pressure's back on now. It's very different circumstances. So that's a fascinating one to, to tee us up. And also we're now into the block that includes the European games, which haven't been in our, you know, our eyeline at all, really, because it's been so long down the, the line when we started the season. But you look at Ulster being in La Rochelle against the aforementioned Ron O'Gara, that's going to be an absolutely uh, riveting fixture. Leinster playing against Racing 92, where Stuart Lancaster is going next season, is also a, a really interesting matchup. And that's after a couple of of big fixtures. Like Leinster Ulster is on the 3rd of December, the two top sides in the in the URC. So I'm really excited by it. And this is going to be as much as any block is, I suppose, really. But this does feel like it's the defining block of their seasons because, mm. you know, you've Europe thrown in there, you have internationals back. We now know that the provinces can select them for seven of their nine games ahead of the the Six Nations window when they go back into camp. So we're going to see lots of quality sprinkled throughout those games, as well as the different tactics of how they use those players. Um, Andy Friend was saying they can actually pick whichever games they want as long as it's a, a maximum of seven. So there's lots for the, the provinces to weigh up here. And at the end of this block, you know, we're going to have a really good idea of how their seasons are, are going to even conclude I suppose there's there's obviously games after the Six Nations but this is where you position yourself for potential success or the alternative of that yeah it's a fine line between success and suddenly finding yourself in a crisis Owen Kenny was wondering how many games are winnable for each of the provinces in this block so like what's a realistic expectation for Munster for Leinster for Ulster for Connacht uh, between now and what February I guess yeah, like, I don't have a massive amount of optimism for, for Munster based on what we saw in the f- first block of the season. Like, it wasn't... Like, that's a significant number of games that they had there, seven. Like, we should have probably seen a little bit more improvement on it. I think the the coaches will have embraced that breather and definitely embraced that South Africa A game. We we saw them do that. It was really spiriting, spirit-lifting uh, day out, really, for, for the province. But it is a tough run. You're playing Connacht now, who will absolutely have designs and coming to Thorne Park and cause an upset. Then they're away to Edinburgh, who are probably in that same mix as them in terms of trying to push and position for 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 the playoffs. And then they have Toulouse. They're, that's the European game I didn't mention. That's going to be absolutely riveting in, in Thorne Park. Toulouse coming to visit, who've been in excellent form over in, in France. Even Northampton away is a, a difficult one. And then you have Leinster on the 26th. Like, that's a really tough run uh, with Ulster on the other side of that as well. A really tough run against for, for Munster. So... Based just on the looking at the run of fixtures there, it does look like a difficult one for them. But 
I suppose the flip side of that is if you if you start picking up results there, then it, it completely alters your season. I think Connacht have a decent run of it, particularly given that their Challenge Cup, they play Newcastle and then Breve away. And obviously there's less pressure with that competition. I think those fixtures fall for them nicely. I think it would be class to see them go on a run in that competition personally. And I hope that that is the the mindset, go and win it and, and qualify through that way. Um, as well as just having that journey for for the their fans and their supporters who haven't had it since 2016, being in the the hunt for a trophy, it's it's so exciting. So I'm hopeful that they can um, have that as a, a massive part of their season. Ulster obviously have a game still in hand. The the Sharks game didn't get played. We're waiting to see when that'll be rescheduled for. But it gives them a chance to to keep the heat on on Leinster and that game on the third of December. It's the re- it's the really big one. They're they're away to them this time, um, and I can't wait to see how that, how that how that one pans out. Leinster, you would imagine, just kind of continue with their, I suppose, dominant position at the top of the the log. But that's why you'd love to see an Ulster win over them just to, to ch- you know challenge that and um, I suppose put them in a position where they're not uh, front runners the the entire way. So there's all sorts of fascinating plot lines there. Um, and I can't wait to see how it pans out because already we're thinking Six Nations as well and players positioning themselves for, for that. You know, it looked like Ireland had very settled kind of squad, but then we saw in the autumn a couple of injuries here or there and guys who weren't even on the pecking order at all are now very much there. Yeah, it's true enough. You caught up with Stefan Thomas on Wednesday just while we're on the topic of the URC. Can you give us a bit of a lowdown as to how that went and what you guys spoke about? I really enjoyed this chat. It's you know we've actually kind of touched on it quite a bit, and Birch has great insight into to Welsh rugby actually. But we wanted to dig in a bit deeper and find out what exactly is going on. You know the the national team lost to Georgia, of course, and lost to Italy earlier this year. But there are kind of root causes. I thought Stefan did a brilliant job of of outlining that in very simple terms. The a bit of the history around it as well. And and one of the things I was really keen to ask him about was Welsh fans' engagement with the URC. We see on social media that certain characters aren't enamoured with it. Um, so it was interesting to, to ask Stefan, as we'll hear here, what the reality is on, on the ground in Wales. I'm keen to get your sense of fan engagement with the, the four regional sides and with the URC as a competition. What's the what's the love towards that? Because you mentioned the, the rocky start to the, to the regional game as well. Yeah, um, so I know, obviously, I know Twitter can be a quite a shady place, but I know a lot of Irish <laughs> fans. Um, they, they're quite baffled by by what by um, Wales' sort of um, reluctance to embrace the URC. So, um, you know, Welsh teams were very competitive to begin with, as, as I said. You know, and, and if you're winning, like when when the Scarlets won the U when or the Pro Twelve, whatever it was, there was a lot of interest in it. You know, the crowds went up, not just the you know the um, you know, the, the crows for the knockout games, albeit they were away, but their average crows went up and they played a European Cup or Champions Cup quarterfinal against La Rochelle and Parker Scarlis was, was bouncing. It could have sorted out twice over. So that does go to, goes to show that if they were winning and playing in competitions which attracted supporters, that they could get, they would be interested in the regions. Um, but I know the URC works in Ireland. Correct me if I'm wrong. You get big crowds, mm. you're winning. You know, you're always at the business end of competitions. Um, you're competing in Europe. It all works well for you, but in Wales, it doesn't. So Welsh, a Welsh fan would think that um, they'd be better off playing in England 
because it's not going to happen. Look, this is fantasy stuff, but they they would say that they want to be playing in England because the Welsh tradition is a club tradition, and you know it's it's you know we grew up as Welsh rugby fans and stories of Llanelli playing Bath, Cardiff, Leicester, you know all, all those sort of great rivalries, and they they don't like the fact that they have to uh, travel to you know, lovely city, but places like Dublin where it costs a lot of money and South Africa and all over the place, they would like to, you know, uh, if you're a Scarlet's fan, you want to have Osprey's home one week, Bath away the next, Leicester home. But, you know, you, you want somewhere where you can go back and forth on a, a single day. And that's the, the sort of culture and tradition of Welsh rugby. That's what a lot of fans want. Also, the URC is a very, it's a very, when you look at it, right, you, you may disagree because the your fans may disagree because the Irish province is doing well. But because there's no salary cap, because the, the Irish provinces are run properly, and because obviously you know you look at Dublin and you know bigger population, higher you're going to higher crowds, bigger bigger businesses there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, obviously you're going you're going to be able to spend more on your squads. You know your your, your schools, private school system is you don't get anything like that in Wales. You know your your whole system is just ten times better than ours, and as to your great credit, but there's nothing like that in Wales and. Um, when when because you haven't got a salary cap, it means that because the Irish begin better and better and better, credit to them. The Welsh are getting worse. It's you know we're not going to be winning the URC anytime soon. It's just going to be it's just going to be really difficult to compete. But if they played in England, there'd be a salary cap, and you know they'd they'd probably be more competitive. And and also um, the the even though the Welsh regions are very reliant on WIU payments, um, it's payment. Is a correct word, not funding. Um, you know, they're, they're not totally union owned either, like in Ireland. No, that you know, obviously, I know it's not as straightforward as that in Ireland, but there, there's mm-hmm. not as much of an union influence on you know, because they, they don't have the complete control. So it's it's just a it's Welsh fans see it as a dog's dinner of a competition purely because they're unsuccessful in it and they they can't see a way where their teams can can really be successful anymore in it. It can, it could happen if they got it right because they have in the past, but um, they're just not attractive. It and unfortunately, facing the likes of, I don't know, um, the Stormers or the or Benetton um, at the Swansea.com Stadium or Pakistan, is just not going to get big crowds at all. But if they played less than Bath, they're going to get big crowds. Um, but the uh, irony to that is, if they played Leinster or Munster at home in Europe, they'd get big crowds. So. Mm. Um, yeah, the Welsh, the URC, and, and this predecessor has been very unloved in Wales. And um, but you know, it, it's it's what they've got. They're not they're not going anywhere. You know, there's been talk that they, in the past they'd go to England. Maybe they'd be better off in England, but it's it's not going to happen. They just got to find a way where they can be competitive and they can sell this competition because there are a lot of great teams in this competition. But even though I've outlined all the other um, examples that they're unhappy with, like the travel and that sort of thing. Um, if they were successful, there'd be more crowds. It's not rocket science either. So um, they, they're in this competition. They just got to find a way where they can be competitive. That was Stefan Thomas chatting to yourself. Murray Kinsler. It's members.the42.eu if you want to hear the full episode with Stefan as well as our Monday pods and naturally as well, uh, most Wednesdays, Owen Tulin. He's been unavailable Wednesdays the last couple of weeks. He's got a busy schedule so he's joined us on the Monday pods uh, which have 
been really enjoyable actually to be a full compliment for. Uh round us off then. Let's let's just uh get a prediction from you for Monster Connacht. It's still a ways away yet as we record on Friday. It's twenty-five to eight Saturday night. Biggest game involving two of the provinces this weekend. Connacht have typically done well when they've landed into Limerick over the last couple of years. They've either come close or they have beaten Munster. So um, given the importance of it as well, how do you see that one actually going? Yeah, and Connacht have a recent win over them up in Galway to kind of take some confidence from. Mm. I just think given how much is on the line, I fancy Munster for that game. It's <laughs> how many times have we been in a must-win situation with Munster early on this season, but it's very much of that category. I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a really brilliant battle uh, I'm at Leinster Glasgow on Saturday afternoon and looking forward to that as well Glasgow's most recent visit to Leinster was obviously not a happy one they got absolutely hammered in the, the quarterfinal last season and they've been poor away from home so far but but have a couple of threats uh, across the, the back line Ulster's Ebra tonight hopefully we'll see um, some Ulster's attacking class so loads to look forward to and yeah it's going to be a massive one in, in Tone Park well, let's call it there. We will be back on Monday, everybody, for the 42 members. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. Enjoy all of those URC games. Murray, thank you. Cheers, Gav. Thanks to everybody at home as well. Talk to you very soon. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. It's coming Roby, Roby, weekly. Then the first pass. Oh, 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 oh